The Daily Rios for Friday, August 17th, 2012. Feedback Friday. It's back. And from the downloads and the responses, I have to assume it's quickly becoming a favorite episode of the week for the listeners. And it's certainly becoming one of my favorite episodes as well. So I want to thank everyone who has reached out, responded, commented. I really appreciate it. And in today's episode, we have questions on everything from some theater talk to the Fantastic Four reactions to my John Blake Nightwing thoughts, and we start off with some TV talk as Murray writes in to ask, Did you watch the new show, Smash? I was curious what you thought of this show. It's all about the backstage shenanigans that take place as a group of theater people try to get Marilyn the Musical brought to Broadway, Marilyn being Marilyn Monroe. I think that the critics loved the first episode and then quickly grew disenchanted with it, so it's going to be retooled and repackaged when it comes back in the winter. Since you're a theater guy, I was curious what you thought. Thanks, Murray. Uh, I've only seen bits and pieces of it, actually. And I know a few of my theater friends who have a love-hate relationship with it, and I actually know a few of my theater friends who actually are working in it. But the little that I have seen, I find it to be grossly inaccurate. Almost, almost like it's a cookie-cutter version of what theater is or, or what TV wants theater to be. In every way that Glee works, Smash doesn't for me. In Glee, they take popular songs and create theater around them. That's what a Glee chorus does. It's kind of like what I did in high school in, in the Glee chorus that I was in, although it wasn't called Glee chorus. So, so I get that when it comes to Glee. In Smash, you're taking theater and trying too hard to pop song it, pop songify it, whatever, you know. Which is not to say that that doesn't happen, it absolutely does. But in the scenario that Smash is presenting, it screams false to me, especially in those early episodes. Early on when the show was about the two potential leads, two potential actresses up for the Marilyn Monroe role, they put Megan Hilty who is a Broadway girl and has a Broadway voice up against the star of the show, Catherine McPhee, who's a pop singer. And that's only in the Smash universe would McPhee beat out Megan Hilty. Because Megan Hilty is amazing. She has a clear Broadway voice. I understand the show's appeal, but I also understand why it's not working and why it needs a retooling. I haven't given it much viewership. So I I guess I can't speak to what happened later on in the season. If you want a show that is highly dramatic and about theater or the arts in general, watch the original Fame movie. Even watch the original Fame TV series. It's It's a bit closer to what goes on. Next up, Jill from Ohio writes in and says, what we know from the times you've had your girlfriend on is that she enjoys some geek related shows and cartoons. Is that what brought you guys together? Do you, do you consider yourself a geek? Thanks, Jill. I met her doing a gig, actually, five years ago. I needed 15 girl tap dancers for a corporate event, and the people that I work with and for know my girlfriend's dad, so I think that's how she heard about it. I actually knew her dad before I knew her, I believe. We did the gig, and from there, I may have seen her a few other times at functions, definitely at Christmas parties, one in particular that we always kind of laugh and joke about, where I was clearly checking her out from afar, tried to talk to her, but I felt she was a bit standoffish, so I kind of stayed away and then came to realize that that was just her natural shyness from from what she told me. 
from there, I just took the initiative to try and talk with her more through Facebooks and uh, Facebook and texts. And I asked her out a few times on a date. She turned me down until I guess I finally wore her down enough and that she said yes, which that last part isn't completely true. We just, we couldn't ever, ever, we couldn't ever really get our schedule straight until we finally did and the rest is history. Certainly the geek-related stuff helps. Uh, I have someone to go see superhero movies with. She has someone who enjoys reading and theater and so it all works out. Am I a geek? Absolutely. I probably don't come across that way initially in terms of my outward appearance or how I act, but I love comics. I love geek books, TV shows. I'm not so immersed in it that I'm some kind of geek caricature, like on Big Bang, I'm not funny in a million parsecs theory, but I definitely am a geek. And it's funny, I was approached months ago about the possibility of writing a geek advice blog for a website. Not so much a how-do-you-get-a-geek-girl thing or some kind of a sex topic thing, but more of a here's-how-to-make-yourself more appealing. A sort of geek guy for a geek guy kind of thing. Cut your hair, clean your nails. Is that your going-out outfit? How about this instead? That kind of thing. People writing, asking for advice or suggestions on how to not lose their identity as a geek, but to maybe clean up their act a bit. Kind of like what we did with Pants over on Comic Geek Speak when we finally got him to stop wearing those fucking knee-high white socks with shorts. <laughs> Ugh. Just social habits that could be sweetened up. Because to be honest, geek guys can be some of the nicest people out there. No lie. I, I, I don't even mean that for myself. I'm, and I'm not trying to stereotype. I'm not trying to say, if you're, a ne- if you're a geek, you need help. I mean, trust me, in all my years of CGS, all those conventions, I met really cool people who are more than capable of having lives, making money, having significant others, talking to people, whatever, expressing themselves. The stereotype is that we all look and act like comic book guy, but that's, that's just not true. That's really far from the truth. On the flip, there are some guys out there who might be unaware of certain things. Manscaping, cutting your nose hair, maybe giving up the long hair, wearing a shirt that doesn't have a band on it or a comic book on it. Giving up that favorite jacket you've worn for eight years. Buying shoes instead of boots or sneakers. Trading in glasses for contacts. How to do that on the cheap. Workouts that are good for certain body types. Eating better. That kind of thing. That, that's more of what the blog would have been about. Sort of an inner inward look at myself and what I could offer to other geeks. I th- it probably would have been fun. I don't, I'm not the greatest writer. I'm not certain what I necessarily have to offer in that capacity. I mean, I guess I have some escapades I could talk about and things and changes that I've made in my own life just to make myself more appealing, quote-unquote. But it's not because of some game or it's not because... I'm not trying to present a false image. Just, I don't know. All this, I guess I just really... What the hell was this question about again? Um, all right, am I a geek? Yes, but I'm not so geeky that that's the only thing about me. I find it is, is something that can be attractive at times for girls because I'm not into the stereotypical guy thing, sports and beer and getting drunk. Uh, I like to go dancing. I like to see shows. I like playing a fun game of strip trivia pursuit. Totally kicked her ass, by the way. I, I, I'm myself, right? Fix up the things that accentuate your positives. Get rid of the things that aren't helping your cause. And, and know that most of us have something that could always use a little improvement. Really. How's that? For an answer. <laughs> All right, Jason Ford writes in with a, 
uh, lengthy topic. He says, what can local comic book shops do to get people in there and buy some comics? Ah, yes, the great mystery. One of my favorite comic book industry analysts is San Francisco retailer Brian Hibbs, specifically because he's a comic book retailer. He's been in business since 1989, and he is someone who has to pay bills and live a life on the very industry that he comments on, as opposed to being a nameless number cruncher behind a computer, a doomsayer who never has to put these numbers into play. In the latest Comic Book Resources article that he puts out called Tilting at Windmills, he talks about the new DC 52 reboot a year later, how, what it's like a year later. And he wrapped up the article and said, after, you know, pretty much after detailing the pros and the cons, he wrapped it up that the reboot was a remarkable success. Now, one thing that caught my eye in the article, which relates to Jason's question, he, Brian Hibbs wrote this. He says, I put a great deal of the credit on the direct market upswing on DC's marketing department for the use of outside advertising in a manner in which I think is really unprecedented in modern comics and for the application of co-op money for individual retailers for social networking sites. I know I spent the first co-op dollars I've used in something like 15 years because DC opened up advertising to Facebook and Google AdWords and the like. Now, I've seen commercials for local comic shops, which is part of that co-op program. I've also seen many comic shops advertise parties, events, signings, etc. Not only just wrapped up in the DC Reboot thing, but just in general. I feel if you want people to come to a comic book shop, let them know that you are there. Seriously. You know, initially, who cares what you're selling? People are like magpies to the words sale and free and discount and to fund things in mass quantity that look pretty in the front of a store. And then they'll take the time to find out what the store is about. And from there, discover who in their life will benefit from such things. It may not be them initially, but you got to backtrack, right? Get the moms in, get the dads in, the grandparents, whoever. Get somebody in, the boyfriends, the girlfriends, and then it'll backtrack from there. My local comic shop participates in what's known as Second Saturday, where I live, and another local store here in Philly does the same thing for what is called First Friday. Holding events, opening their doors, creating an atmosphere that draws people in. And you can't just do that once. You have to set a trend. You have to be consistent. It has to be something that is going to be there week to week or month to month so that People start getting used to it, and maybe we'll be drawn to your store. Next, have things people want. A clean store, well-lit, air conditioning in the summer, discount racks, kids section, manga section, if it makes sense in your neighborhood. I'm not going to tell you how to order the books or where they should go on the shelves. That'll change per the owner tastes, you know. But just have things and update your stock. Move out the old, bring in the new. With all that, be knowledgeable be friendly. Here in Philly, I witnessed a really shitty attitude from a comic store worker at Fat Jack's Comics, where there was a girl that was looking for some Chew comics, Chew from Image, and he couldn't be bothered to look up from his magazine until he, actually, until he finally had to go step out from behind the counter and help her out. A paying customer. Why those workers weren't swamping her, I have no idea. But on the flip of that, don't be a huckster. If I say I don't want it, don't keep trying to sell me on it. Move on. Something else. 
Don't be the hard salesman. Be knowledgeable, be courteous, try to find out what the customer wants, what they're looking for, help them out, and then go on to, to other maybe related books that might interest them. I could go on in, in great detail. I think it's a discussion that has been going on for years in the podcasting community. And ultimately, I would have to say, find the comic store that suits you or, or really help the store turn itself into a better store. If you're a retailer and you're passive and you're fine with that, great. If not, be proactive. Talk to your buyers. Ask them what they want to see more of, less of, who they want in for signings, what kind of events they might want to throw there. Maybe it's not even a comic book related event. Maybe there's some organization or some group or some band that could use your space if it's big enough. And hey, maybe somebody might actually buy something. Do surveys. Hand them out. I used to do that on CGS all the time. Every year I would send out emails to different people, almost like 50 people, to try and get a cross-section of what they liked and what they wanted more of. And it was a great resource. Feedback, 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 feedback. That's it. Feedback Friday. That's what it's all about. Another one from Murray. Just kind of getting caught up on your podcasts after a week from the internet. Glad to hear that there's another fan of the Carlos Pacheco run on Fantastic Four. Really enjoyable chunk of stories. I'd like to be hopeful about Fraction on Fantastic Four, but I can't muster up a lot of enthusiasm. I'd really like to enjoy the book again, but there's something about the current crop of hot writers at Marvel that just leave me cold. He continues, I'm generalizing, but the stories being told by the favored writers at Marvel just don't seem to have a lot of heart. Hickman's run on Fantastic Four gets a lot of love, but it doesn't do anything for me. It's pretty cold and clinical, not what I'm looking for in an FF story. I suspect that Fraction Story will be much of the same. Lots of cool ideas, neat concepts, but not a lot of emotion. Throw in Bagley's art, and it's all kind of meh. I guess it will come out on time. With Bagley on the book, they'll probably be able to continue to do all their double shipping without even missing a beat. Yeah, I went on a rant on Twitter just yesterday about this Marvel Now thing, how they said it was going to be a slow rollout for October, and then comes the November solicits, and practically all of the new Marvel Now titles are shipping not only the first issue that month in November, but the second issue as well. Which, ah, <laughs> uh, Marvel. Anyway, that's not what his question's about. I read an interview with Matt Fraction on his Fantastic Four. He did talk about family a lot. He did talk about the idea of having a cool dad who could take you to the negative zone in the future and the past, out in space, and what that means to a family. So you might get some emotional stuff there. You might get family with all the creative ideas. So all, all I guess we can hope for is just to see how those first couple issues read and see what happens. Ed Chambers writes, you mentioned a comment from David S. from Philly wherein he describes seating in the Walnut Street Theater as difficult for someone who is tall. Although I am not tall, I'm five foot nine. I have similar problems at the Forest Theater, particularly in the mezzanine level. There just isn't adequate legroom. If you are familiar with the Forest Theater, do you know which seating area is the best for legroom? I haven't been to the Forest Theater in years. The Forest Theater isn't a producing house. They bring in shows, Broadway tours and things like that. I have to imagine the orchestra might be a little better. If you're able to get aisle seats, always get an aisle seat. If there's a break in the seating, try to find that break and maybe sit at the front row of, of that break. Or maybe a box seat. But if you're going to get a box seat... Try to get one that's not right on top of the stage and try to get the seats that are closest to the stage. If you're in a box seat and you're sitting closer to the wall, 
then you have to kind of look at the stage through all the people in front of you. So, uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with The Forest, but it's an old theater, so, yeah, it's, I imagine it's going to have seating problems for people who, are, who want to be comfortable, I guess I should say. From Monday's Joe Kubert episode, I asked, what words did people hear? And Kyle Scroggins said, I heard most fortunate. Thanks, Kyle. The word I kept hearing was story. Story, story, story. And this is from someone who is known as, as an artist just as much as he is a writer as well. Maybe even more so. And story was a big word that I heard from that episode. Ryan Sanyo from the Sanyo cast said, I really like this episode, the Joe Kubert episode, especially with how you experimented with sound. Kubert will be missed, absolutely. From the 10 Tweet Tuesday episode, specifically my comments about John Blake coming into the comic books, potentially what I was talking about, morphing him into Nightwing. Eric from Long, longboxreview.wordpress.com says, Regarding what you were saying about Dick Grayson and John Blake, while it pains me to say it, maybe you're right. Maybe Dick should die. I just don't feel the significance of Dick Grayson in the relaunched DCU. Our Grayson had, for the most part, an arc of growth. He started out as the original Robin under Batman's wing, struck out on his own during his college days, teaming up with Batgirl, forming the Teen Titans, developing into a leader that Batman could never be, becoming Nightwing, all the while developing relationships with the other DC heroes. With Grayson having only been Robin for a short time, presumably in the New 52, and coupled with the lack of the Teen and later New Teen Titans, he just doesn't have the weight, the backstory, that made him matter in the DCU, at least to me. Such a pity. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must go wash my mouth out with soap for the heresy I have uttered. Eric. <laughs> I had a few other people also comment and thought that it was an interesting idea. MJ Starchild said, Whoa, that Nightwing Blake storyline, awesome idea. You're not caught up on the 52, but I could totally see where this would go. Sandy Parker said, Gotta respect how you can talk about the death of one of your favorite characters and not vow to stop reading DC. And then Jamie Dunst writes in and says, weighs in on the topic and says, Listening to your idea about John Blake and Nightwing, I doubt that will happen simply because it seems that there are big plans with Dick Grayson and Gotham City. I do hope that John Blake has a nice meaty role in the Batman universe, though, just not as Nightwing. That book is doing just fine without that kind of change. I guess all we can do is wait and see. So that's it for Feedback Friday. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. And for those people who are just listening and not even and not writing in, hey, good to not hear from you, too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for adding to the download numbers. I really appreciate it. Over on CGS, we used to call them our silent listeners. And we would always meet them at conventions, and they would come up and say, Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm not on the forums. I've never written in. I, I'm, I, I just listen. And hey, that's great. That's, that's support as well. People who are just listening, great. Awesome to have you. Speaking of all that, I got a really great personal email from Vito from Brooklyn that really just makes it all worthwhile. This whole thing, doing a podcast, talking about comics, whatever. It was a fantastic email. I'm not going to share it because I I just thought it was something really cool. And uh, so Vito, thank you very much for that email. I, I really appreciate it. I hope you don't mind. I did share it with my girl. I just wanted her to see the kind of responses that you can get from doing a podcast like this. Uh, so I, I, I do. It really touched me, so thanks for that. Uh, I want to let people know that I am going to SPX, Small Press Expo, for the first time ever. I will be there, thanks to Mr. Phil of the Indie Spinner Act podcast. I always have a great time hitting a con with Mr. Phil, and this is his bread and butter, this kind of convention. 
Uh, we always have a great time up at MOCA. So I'll be going to SBX. It's Saturday, Sunday, September 15th and 16th at the Bethesda North Marriott Hotel and Conference Center. So if anybody's going, let me know. By the way, if anyone was a fan of Indie Spinnerack and you listened to that podcast and maybe you just happen to have some of their older episodes, if you do, email me because their site went down a while back and they lost a lot of their episodes. So they're looking to restore their archives, basically. So if you happen to have saved some of their interviews or episodes or whatever, by all means, contact me and I'll send them over to Mr. Phil. That'd be awesome. And where can you contact me? You can contact me at peter at thedailyrios.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave a comment on iTunes. Leave a comment on the website. Don't forget about the Send Julian Lytle to Morrison Con fundraiser that is going on for another week or so, two weeks. Um, it's payday, so why don't you go help out Jamal Eigel's Molly Danger Kickstarter? That would be awesome. And if you're looking for some more comic book specific talk, podcast talk for me, check out the recent PKD Black Box podcast with Sean Pryor, the recent episode, most recent episode, uh, 83, 88, something like that, uh, where we talk about JLA Detroit, we talk about Justice League of America in the 80s, we talk about Vibe, we talk about Vixen, we talk about a lot. It's a really great conversation, and uh, I always enjoy talking with Mr. Sean Pryor of Action Lab. So check that out, PKD Black Box. Uh, Other than that, have a great weekend. Go hug someone. We'll see you next week.